We're going to continue with our worship experience this morning. You know, that idea uh, that Dan shared in communion of not passing judgment, that's hard to do. You know? Uh, I have I have to admit that I, I did a lousy job of that yesterday. Um, we were camping at Stony Brook Park, and um, the the group that came in late Friday night uh, set up, got their stuff done, and immediately started drinking in a park that has giant signs that says "No alcoholic beverages allowed." And uh, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, somewhere between 12 and 12.30, the music started. And, yeah, and, and so at 12.30, I, I climbed out of my hammock, and, and I said, look, guys, you know, could you at least turn the music off? Um, and I wasn't, I'm not telling you you can't break the rules and hang out and have a good time, but could you, you know, I've got kids and, you know, the more they drank, the fouler and louder the language became. And, and so it's kind of hard to not want to throw stones, uh, literally. And uh, <laughs> it was tough. Um, and so in the morning at 4.45, when I got up out of my hammock to, to go to the bathroom, and the dog heard me and now wants to be up, and is is all oh, hey it's it's 4:45 it's time to get up right i can the sun's almost up you're going to feed me right and 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 poor joy cuz the dog was in the tent with the girls and and so all of a sudden I, the girls are stumbling through the darkness with the dog over to me and i had set up a line to clip him to so that he wouldn't get tangled up and the, she didn't understand what i was trying to tell her and so i'm trying to explain to her I'm in my hammock, barely awake, explaining to a 14-year-old in the dark who's barely awake uh, with a dog who's very awake how to take his leash, clip it on, and, and all the while my wife is laying next to me in the hammock saying, shh, be quiet. And I'm like, absolutely not, I will not be quiet. <laughs> Where I could have, I could have had grace, and I could have been kind to my neighbors. I was not. Anyways, so this morning we are starting a, a brand new message series. I'm really excited about. Uh, it's called Primal, and when when you hear the word Primal, what kind of things come to mind? Yeah, there we go. Ar ar ar. Good? Good. What else? Primal. Fire. Yeah? Scream. The primal scream into the pillow. Right? I'm so angry at my brother. (laughs) Cavemen. Primal. Right? Uh, It was interesting. As I was pulling the message uh, materials together and and for this morning's message, uh, and we're using a book called Primal. Uh, the quest for the lost soul of Christianity, kind of as the template for our message series. And it's written by Mark Batterson, uh, who we've used uh, some of his material in the past. It's awesome, awesome resource. I highly encourage you to pick it up. Um, but there, there was uh, one thing that, that popped up 
over and over again as I was looking for things about primal, and uh, it was primal movement, uh, that there's a whole kind of exercise system based on primal movement. And I, and I, I didn't, I, I wish that I had clicked on the links, but I was kind of scared of where it would take me. But it's, I don't know if it's like act like a monkey um, and in basic primal movements. Um, I don't know where that came from. Um, Winston Churchill says this. He said, the farther backward you look, the further forward you are likely to see. And in the beginning of, of the book Primal, uh, Mark describes a journey that he and his wife went on. They were celebrating their 15th wedding anniversary, and they were boring. They didn't take their, he didn't take his wife to Algonquin Park uh, for their anniversary. He took his wife to Rome. Not even close. I know, boring. But uh, so they're strolling through the city of Rome and having, you know, gelato and all the things that, they, that you have there. And, and uh, they took the, the tour of St. Peter's Basilica and they're walking the, the Via Sacra. And, um, there was this 12th century church that was right around the corner from their hotel that was on none of the maps, none of the tourist guides. It was just this little church tucked out of the way. And in Rome, uh, the way things worked, when conquerors would come in, uh, in that, that piece of real estate has been contested and fought over and battled and won. And, and, and the, when, when the conquerors would come in or a new Caesar would come in and, and build things, they would just build on top of whatever was already there. And so they get in there, and they're in this 12th century church, and it's beautiful. Um, but then in the 12th century church, you can go down a level to the 4th century church that the 12th century church had been built on top of. And then while you're in the, in the lower level of the 4th century church, so imagine a church built in 400 A.D., uh, is there, there was an entranceway and access to second century catacombs that are under the church. And so as they are walking down these steps into the catacombs, it's damp, it's dark, there's, you know, there's lighting along the way, but you, you get down into these catacombs and, and Mark describes it as he's standing there in the place where people were literally hiding in tombs and in the sewer systems so that they could worship Christ, he was convicted and thought, you know, where, where have we come that, that when we look at what authentic Christianity looks like in the 21st century, if we were going to take a 21st century Christian and put them side by side with a 2nd century Christian, and their commitment to the cause of Christ and what they would be willing to do to follow Christ, how would those two things measure up? So this morning, as, as we look forward into our next steps, as we look forward into, you know, we're already into the, the 21st century, and we look at what, what Christianity looks like, how do we, how do we look at Scripture as 21st century Christians? How do we look at our walk with the Lord as 21st century Christians? 
And is there any merit at looking back at how did they live their Christian faith? Um, and, you know, so when we, when we strip away all of the layers of history and all of the things that have kind of been added to um, Mark is standing there in these catacombs at the, in, at the literally the, the, the primal glory of where Christianity started, where it cost you everything to follow Christ. And, um, you know, when we think about that question of um, is my relationship, is my walk with the Lord, is my Christianity authentic? Does it really make a difference in the world? Has our generation forgotten how inconvenient it can be to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing the, the things that we take for granted. The fact that we meet in public and, and we advertise it and that we are free to invite whoever we want to invite and without any repercussions, without having to register with the state. Uh, well, I mean, we kind of do, but, um, but it's not like register with the state uh, in China to have a church. Um, and, you know, Christianity has, has changed uh, in a lot of ways since the beginning. Uh, we've come out of the catacombs, and now we build majestic cathedrals and we've written creeds, and we've written canons, and songs, and, uh, and you know, in, in a lot of churches, they have pews and pulpits, and we don't have pews or pulpits. We have tables, and, and you know, and, and, and sit around with, Jamie, was it you that were talking to someone who was at a church, uh, a church plant? Um, somebody I was talking to recently, and they were asking them about what their church was like, and, and we were saying, you know, that we sit around tables, and he was like, oh, yeah, we do that. And we were like, what? We kind of felt like, you know, this was a unique thing. Like, you know, tables are our thing. No one else is allowed to have tables. And, you know, and, and copiers. You should have patented that process. Um, but, you know, we have, we have worship teams, and we've got multimedia, and, and we have coffee. Um, and, you know, all the things that, that kind of come with, Christianity, but I wonder if we have accumulated so many layers of traditions or institutions or even new things that we have lost or obscured what lies beneath the the real the you know the under the hood stuff when it comes to our faith, and so we're going to take a look at what does it really mean to love God with all of our heart with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. If Jesus said that that is the most important commandment, the first thing, the prime directive for those Star Trek fans that are out there, that this is the, the most important thing, um, what does that look like? And how do we as 21st century Christians measure up? How do we fit? What is the, the primal essence of Christianity? Or, or what is primal faith. Um, there's a, a thing called the, the far side of complexity. And uh, so let me ask you a question. Can anyone tell me uh, 
any students that are in the room. You are getting ready for school. It's time to start firing those neurons because school starts in a couple of weeks. Uh, anyone tell me what a prime number is? Prime number, Dan. It's self and one, so it can only is divisible by itself, and it's a divisible by one. All right, you want to give me an example of a prime number? Nineteen. Good prime number. Not my first choice. Very good. Um, somebody else? Anybody else? Another prime number? Thirteen. Seven. Three. Fifty-one. Good. Now, did you know that out of out of the there are there are like thousands and thousands and thousands of prime numbers. Did you know that there is only one prime number that's even? Two. Two is the only even prime number of all prime numbers. So you can look at two as the primal prime number. Um, and you know when you think about math, which I try not to as much as possible. Um, Math proves that there is absolute truth. There are only certain numbers that are prime numbers, and then and, and only, only one even number that is a prime number, too. And there are certain truths that qualify as primal truths. Uh, in the church, Christians, we will disagree about all kinds of doctrinal issues, won't we? We will disagree on, on how to do communion, we will disagree on what day of the week that we're supposed to meet. We will disagree on all kinds of things, of whether or not the, the gifts of the Spirit are still for today or not for today. We will disagree on our understanding of when Jesus is going to return and the idea of, of you know, the, the doctrine of the rapture. And are we, are we pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation or post-tribulation or no-tribulation? Um, there, there are all, all kinds of things that, that we can um, discuss. And, and it, it creates all the different denominations that are out there. Um, because we, we, we will wrap around a set of, of doctrines and, and then form a group around it. And, you know, as a kid growing up, I remember when we went on vacation, we would, if there was an Assemblies of God church uh, that was decent in whatever town that we were camping in or vacationing in, we were Assemblies of God people. That's what we grew up. But if there wasn't, we would find a good, solid church, and we were Presbyterians, or we were United Methodists, or we were Baptists, or we were Catholics. And, and there was no, in my mind, there was no... Uh, we're better than anybody else because we're assemblies of God or, or you're not. Um, we're just different. And, and what's a beautiful thing about that, you know, when we think about all of those different divisions of, of well, the, the Methodists do this or the Baptists do this or the Pentecostals do this, is that each one of those pieces are all a part of the body of Christ. And what's beautiful is that each one has a different thing that they emphasize. You know, the, the Nazarenes and the Wesleyans and the Methodists, holiness is their thing. That's what, that's what their, their, their strive uh, and, and their, their focus is on. Uh, the Baptists, their thing is winning people to Christ. Evangelism is their thing, and they're good at it. Um, 
for, for Pentecostals, our focus, our, our emphasis is on the, the gifts of the Spirit. And that's not all that we're about. But each one of those different denominations bring out a different kind of, it's kind of like Skittles. Uh, each church brings out a different taste in the rainbow for who God is. And, and so, you know, we try to say this as, as often as we can remember, but, you know, you're not going to ever hear us bashing um, another church. Uh, and, and, you know, if we ever have somebody who comes as a guest speaker, uh, because there's nothing worse than having some guy show up and start slamming on Catholics or slamming on Baptists or slamming on whoever. And, and then it just polarizes and makes people angry. And it doesn't really help anything. Um, that if someone ever did that, that they would be stopped and their sermon would be over and we would get to go home early because um, that's not who we are. Um, that's not in the notes either. Um, but the chief thing in our, our primal biblical truths, the, the even prime, so to speak, of what Jesus said uh, is the most important commandment that, that Dan shared in communion this morning. Uh, the primal commandment, and it's, it's primal because of its importance. So Jesus is in this setting with a bunch of legal guys, teachers, and, and lawyers, and they try to nail him with a trick question to try to get him to, to lay out what is the most important commandment. And so in Mark chapter 12, Verses 28 through 31, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, Jesus said, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And with all your strength. Now, why do you think that that was a trick question that they were trying to catch him in? Why did they use this question to catch Jesus in a mistake? Anybody have a guess? Yeah, maybe. Well, one of the ten, because when we think about the, the rules, right, the ten commandments that are the big thing, what they had done over the hundreds and hundreds of years is they had taken the ten and then added to, you know, that idea of, like last week when we talked about and, the Pharisees added and, but not in the right way. So you had to follow the Ten Commandments and 633 more commandments that they then had to know, memorize, and follow. And so they're trying to catch Jesus and say, Jesus, no, really, out of our 631 rules, which one's the most important? And he gives them the most important one, which blows their brains because it's not even on their list. He was a genius. He had the ability to strip away the most complex things and find the simplest truth in unforgettable ways. Um, And for us today as Christians, aren't we like the opposite of that? Aren't we so easy and good at taking simple things and making them complex and hard to follow, and difficult to understand. We complicate Christianity. Oliver Rundle Holmes said this. He said, uh, there is simplicity 
on the near side of complexity. And there is simplicity on the far side of complexity. I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on the near side of complexity. And what he means by that, I know those are all big words and ideas. Uh, it's probably your brain is hurting. Um, it's okay. We'll walk through it. We'll get through this together. Um, what he's saying is that on the near side of complexity, faith for Christians is just mind deep. That our, we know what we believe, but we don't know why we believe what we believe. And faith is fragile because it's never been tested intellectually or it's never been uh, tested by experience. Nearside Christians have never been to the catacombs of doubt or of pain or suffering. And it's in those experiences that our faith is, is deepened and, it, and breath is added to it and, and you can put teeth to your faith that, that you can actually sink into and hold on to. It gives us a new appreciation for a God who doesn't fit within those logical constraints of our left brain. Nearside Christians have a tendency to lose their faith when they get tested. Because it's like, you know, I, I have an understanding. I, I think I kind of know what I believe, but I'm not really sure why I believe it. And so they just have this real simple understanding of it and and when testing comes they they lose it they let it go this type of christianity is known by another name it's called spiritual immaturity it's all good see spiritual immaturity motorola and droid I get it. I get it. If she were truly mature, she would have an iPhone. Just kidding. Just kidding. But this is not the spiritual immaturity that we're... The, the spiritual uh, immaturity is not the simplicity that Jesus calls us to. Um, because our world is incredibly complex. It's, it's a challenge. There are all kinds of things. But Jesus calls us to simplicity on the far side of complexity. He calls us to a faith that he wants us to experience, that he wants us to, to see that on the far side as well, you know, there is suffering, there's difficulty, there's challenge. But when we talk about simplicity on the far side of complexity, what does that mean? And how do we get there? Because it's, it's not easy to, to strip away... Um, all of the things that we've learned, all the things that we understand about uh, what it means to be a Christian, um, that we've learned things, we've experienced things, and, and taken and rebuild an authentic, real faith that will, will last a lifetime. Um, you know, because we all, we all come to the table with our experiences of, I was raised Lutheran, or I was raised Catholic, or I was raised... Assemblies of God. Um, and, and so we, we all come with these preconceived ideas. But when we're looking at this primal faith, what does it mean to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength? We need to go back and look at the very beginning. We need to go underground to, to understand what God wants from us.
and for us. You know, the world has a, a perception problem when it comes to us. Um, the church is known better for what it is against than for what it's for. You know, we, we do something unique, uh, or we, I, I think it's unique. There's probably somebody that's already doing it, kind of like tables. Um, that, that for us, when, when someone is welcomed into membership at LifeQuest Community Church, uh, we present them with a gift, uh, with a walking stick, that is a symbol of beginning that journey as, as a part of our faith community um, because, and, and not as a, a reaction, but I remember when I was a kid, when you joined an, a church as a member, you got a card. And on that card, it listed all the things that you, that you were committing to as a member of that church. And they were typically all the things that you were not allowed to do. And so as a card-carrying member of X church, we, uh, we don't drink and we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't run with those that do and we don't dance and we don't play cards and we don't go to the movies. I'm a Christian. And we defined our Christianity by all the things that we didn't do. And so when you try to explain what does it mean to be a Christian, you whip out your wallet and here's my card. If somebody's a God member from X church and here are all the things I don't do. Praise the Lord. Yeah, right? And so as a church, we're better known for the things that we're against than for what we're for. The real problem is really not a perception problem. The real problem is the world's perception is our reality. That we live our lives trying to define all the things that we are opposed to. That instead of living and you know pointing out so, so quickly pointing out what's wrong with our culture and, and looking at, at, at the things and pointing fingers. And for us, the temptation is to ask the question, what's wrong with this generation? Why is it that 20-somethings are, are leaving the church at alarming rates? That, that you've got churches that, um, and, and you, know, you, you have the, the, the norm um, of churches where you have um, a fairly decent spectrum of people. LifeQuest uh, is a weird church. Um, we, we can't figure out or explain how or why God does what he does. Uh, it was funny. I was talking with one of the trustees this morning, and uh, he asked how things were going at the church, and I said, things are going great. And he's like, really? Great. And, and he was kind of surprised that things were going great. I said, yeah, i I, I got to go run upstairs and, and haul a bunch more chairs down um, because we're like busting at the seams, and he and he goes really, and I said, yeah, we're uh, we had 123 people in church last Sunday. And he's like 123. He goes, I remember when you started. What did you have? 25? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I remember when you were like, oh, I don't know, what we're gonna do with 50, and and now it's like, how do we fit 100? We have 121 seats in the room this morning, and almost all of them are full. And then we've got all the kids that are upstairs. Um, we are, we are experiencing God's blessing. Um, and, you know, Mark Batterson gets to take his wife to Rome because he writes books and people buy all of his books. And if we could figure out how to write a book. Yeah, I know, I want to write a book. But if I could figure out how God did this, I could write that book and sell a bazillion copies. And then we could go to Rome. I know. 
but I can't take the credit for it because he did it. Five, five, yeah, we'll all go to Rome. Um, we've just, we've just been faithful and prayed and been obedient to what God's called us to do and, and, and people come and it's, it's awesome to see what God's doing. But, you know, it's interesting when you look at the 20 to 29 year olds are leaving the church. Uh, George Barna said that 61% of the 20 somethings who grew up in church will quit attending church sometime in their 20s. And so our question is, what is wrong with that generation? No. We're asking the wrong question. What's wrong with the church that they are not having any desire to stay? And I think the answer to all of this is simple, but it's simplicity on the far side of complexity. I think that for, for most Christians, we're not great at the great commandment. If, if we want to be honest, we're probably not even good at the great commandment. And I think that's the primal problem with the church as a whole, not just LifeQuest or the churches of, of Hilton and Parma. We're, we're not great at the great commandment. And so that's what we're going to be exploring over the next five weeks. What does that mean to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength? Um, this morning I want to give you a homework assignment. I know, school is coming, guys, and, and I'm just trying to grease the wheels and get it ready. All right, so, so here is your homework assignment for this week, for all of us, whether you're going back to school or not. I want you to, whether you've got an app on your phone or on your computer or in a, get a little notebook, I want you to set up a time tracker and just keep track of your time for this coming week. What is it that you do with your time? Whether it's I, I watch TV for this amount of time or I spent this much time eating or I spent this much time sleeping or I spent this much time out in the shed putting away all your camping gear or whatever it is that you spend your time with. Um, and at the end of the day on Saturday, I want you to add up all your time on all the different things that you did throughout this coming week. And I want you to contrast that time and your, the activities with the great commandment. How much of that activity had something to do with loving God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength? Because Jesus said that when we love God, the, the most important thing, the prime directive, the primal commandment, the one, if you're going to follow all or any of the 633 commandments, or instructions, or rules, or regulations, is love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Shouldn't it then logically follow that the way we spend our time should reflect that prime directive? Or do we spend an inordinate amount of time and energy doing other things? And I'm not saying, you know, my, my, my daughter will look at me and she'll say, Dad, wow, what, do you want me to be a nun? <laughs> and, no, not asking you to become a nun. Um, and and we, I obviously realize that, that we can do all kinds of things for the glory of God, that I'm not saying that for the next week, in order for you to feel good about yourself, that you have to spend 
you know, all day long on your knees with a Bible, with Christian music blaring into your ears, and, and then you've loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can't afford to merely just be good at the great commandment anymore. We have to become great at the great commandment. Loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Um, you know, some truths can't be understood without logic. Um, some can. Math is one of those that, that scientific principles are types of truths that we, we understand on the left side of our brain. And, um, but there are some truths that are not logical. There are some truths that the, the world has problems. And again, you know, when we think about the, the problems of, of truth that come from the right side of the brain, uh, imagination, not logical. Um, but both logic and imagination are absolutely necessary for us to have a well-balanced life. And, and faith comes from the right side of our brain. Um, many call it fantasy because what faith requires goes beyond logic. If I can't see it, I can't feel it, I can't touch it, then, then I can't believe it. And faith requires us to accept that there are things out there bigger than us. So this, this week and uh, these next coming weeks, we're going to be exploring the heart of Christianity. That's primal compassion. Loving God with all your heart, primal compassion. We're going to look at the soul of Christianity, primal wonder. The mind of Christianity, primal curiosity. And the strength of, of Christianity, primal energy. Let me close with this. Philippians 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. Paul says this. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're not going to get lost by looking back. We're, we're going to look back at what does primal Christianity look like? How does it apply to our lives? How do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? But by looking back, like I opened the message with uh, that quote by Winston Churchill, he said, the farther backward you look, the further forward you are likely to see. I believe with all of my heart that God has amazing things for us as believers, as individuals, and as a church. That this is not all that there is to LifeQuest Community Church. That God has more what He wants to do. That God has more that He wants to do in our community at Hilton United Methodist Church, at Hilton Baptist Church, at Parma Christian Fellowship, at St. George's Episcopal, at St. Leo's, at St. St. Paul's, at Cross Point Free Methodist Church, that God wants to do something in this community. But we've got to figure out 
who we are and figure out how do we become great at the great commandment. That's where we're going to go for the next four or five weeks. Close your eyes, bow your heads as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to live that perfect example in front of us. That he was a genius at being able to strip away all of the complexity and all of the nonsense and just give us the simple truth. The most important thing for us is to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. Father, help us to do that this morning. Help us to do that this week. Father, I pray that you would help us to become great at the great commandment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pray that you have a fantastic week. Uh, We'll look forward to seeing you back next Sunday when we explore the heart of Christianity, primal compassion. How do we love God with all our heart? Uh, And again this week, uh, be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. If you've got stuff at your tables, if you could help us by taking all the things on your tables to the back table. Um, And if you're able to stick around and help us tear down, that would be awesome. If not, get out. Get out of here. Go enjoy this beautiful day. Blessings.